Good morning again. This is our second week in our annual Fall Grace Stories series, and I'd like to ask Fred Feliciano to join me on the stage. Uh, You've heard a little bit about Fred. Uh, Fred uh, recently married his wife, Sylvia. I would encourage you guys to get to know them. I had the privilege to get to know them to officiate their wedding. And uh, Fred and Sylvia have both already made a huge impact on our church. Um, Many of you know that Fred is really the the ringleader, the guy who's been behind this men's Bible study that just kicked off. And today we all have the privilege of hearing about Fred's story. How did Fred Fred become a Christian? How has God worked in his life? So our brother's going to share his grace story with us now. Good morning, Grace Redeemer. Good morning, Grace Redeemer. Back in May, Pastor Josh had asked me to tell my Grace story. I I recall the day very vividly. I was at Grace Redeemer's offices. I happened to be walking toward the uh, kitchen area, and Pastor Josh was walking in the opposite direction. He asked me, Fred, would you mind sharing your, your Grace story? I answered him in about three seconds, But what was three seconds for me felt like it was three hours. Pastor Josh is a very gentle man, soft-spoken person, but there was an intensity in his eyes. And after the question, I felt convicted. I felt fear. A fear overcame me of how I would look in front of you telling you my story. I also felt, felt a fear of being judged. I felt a fear of shattering this facade of what people may think who I am in terms of being a good guy and not being seen as the sinner that I actually am. After three seconds had passed, which for me was three hours, I answered him, and obviously the answer was yes, I'm here today. I felt an obligation to share my story of salvation. I felt it was very ironic how if I was uncomfortable, if, if I wasn't comfortable sharing my story in my own church, how I can tell my story to non-believers, my own family, friends, or perfect strangers. In telling my story, I feel that I have to be honest with you. I have to tell you what I've been through, what I've done, and what I've become. And regardless of how bad I may look in front of you here or the fear of offending anyone, I have to be honest. Looking back to Pastor Josh's request, which happened four months ago, uh, a lot of time has passed. And I thought I I discovered this fallacy of time. I found myself prepping for today a couple of weeks ago and just didn't acknowledge how time passed very quickly. In terms of my experience with spirituality, let me tell you more about my background. I'm 39 years old now. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Puerto Rican. I grew up with my mom, uh, my sister, and my grandparents. I grew up in a Roman Catholic household. I was baptized Catholic. On Sundays, we went to church. And and, And on Wednesdays, I remember being allowed to leave school early so that I could attend religious instruction classes. In all the worship and rituals, I never had a a relationship with Jesus Christ. The same household that I grew up in that, that was Roman Catholic was also a household of divination. 
I lived in a household where we believed in psychics, tarot card readers, and people who told fortunes from the ashes of cigarettes. Also was a home that believed in witchcraft. My family would commonly visit uh, what we say in Spanish, espiritualistas, people who would communicate with dead spirits. Uh, we would go to them to have spells removed. One visit to Puerto Rico, I saw a espiritualista who told me I had black magic put on me. And the remedy was taking a dove, rubbing it all over my body, and sending it out into the air. Outside of spirituality, I remember being five years old and having a lot of anger issues. I spent a lot of my early years being a bully. And that, looking back, it stemmed from having an absentee father. I was a very rebellious kid, got into a lot of fights. Um, later on, I found myself slipping into darkness. I found myself not going to school, uh, using drugs and alcohol, beer, marijuana, cocaine. And also, I idolized Scarface. Who, who here have heard of Scarface? Okay. I thought I was going to be the next big-time drug dealer. For some time, I sold crack, cocaine, marijuana. My first arrest was at the age of 15. My second arrest was at the age of 17 for armed robbery. Um, I spent six months on Rikers Island. Uh, that night that I was arrested, we had robbed several people. We went back uh, to my home. I got some food. I went back to the same neighborhood where I had robbed someone, and, and we actually got pulled over. And um, in the police car being driven to central booking, the cop car actually drove right by my home. And, and I remember saying to myself, that's where I should have been. Rikers Island, I would say, was probably one of the lowest points of my life. But I felt God began to work in my life slowly. On Rikers Island, I got my GED, discovered creative writing. After a few months, I received my sentence, and I had two more, two more months left to go. I also received program. I, I received a probation and a program called Cases. And I thought God had given me more time. I thought God was blessing me. Two months later, after leaving jail, I ended up in college, graduated. I've had a career in direct social services and in human resources. Going back to the time that I was on Rikers, I had picked up a New Testament. I remember wanting to feel better, wanting the pain to go away. So I said the, the prayer of salvation. But ultimately, my, my life didn't really change. And this is not where the story of salvation begins. Even though I profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I continue to live boldly in my sin. Since I was a teen, I had a problem with pornography. I felt enslaved to it, and I couldn't, I couldn't break free of that yoke. I proclaimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but yet I continue to live boldly in my sin. Since I was young, I pursued pleasure through casual sex, but it left me with an, an emptiness and a feeling of never feeling satisfied. I profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but yet I continue to live boldly in my sin. I had created a God of my own choosing. I believed that all roads led to heaven. So regardless of whether you were Hindu, Buddhist, Mormon, or Jehovah's Witnesses, it still led to the same place. Matthew 7, 13 to 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. 
and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. During that time, I didn't see a need for a savior. The God of my choosing allowed me to commit all the sins that I wanted with no consequences. I said to myself, I'm a good person. Ultimately, it was a, it was a, a rejection of the gospel of Christ. About a year and a half to two years ago, a friend from Vegas had called me. She was actually someone who I, I used to date. She was a born-again Christian and spoke to me about Christ. She preached the gospel of salvation through grace, through faith, through Christ alone. I told her I believed in God. And she told me that wasn't enough. She, she did not give up on me. Her and I would speak periodically, and she would share the gospel with me. She told me, Fred, she said, you don't know how much time you have. She told me that the wages of sin is death and that she did not want me to go to hell. So I started on my own little journey. I started reading the Bible on my own, visiting different churches. I was curious. One Sunday, she sent me a podcast from Dr. Charles Stanley from In Touch Ministries. I heard the podcast, and I knew what I had to do. Um, Accepting Christ was something that I was putting off for some time. I didn't want to give up my sin. I absolutely loved my sin, had created all these rituals behind it. And I knew that being a Christian meant obedience to God, turning away and fleeing from my sin and the things that I love so very much. That Sunday, I went upstairs to my attic, and I got on my knees, and I acknowledged my need for a Savior. I acknowledged that I had led a very sinful life, even though I thought I was a good person. I acknowledged the need for payment of my sin through Jesus Christ. I asked God to forgive me, and I accepted Christ, God in the flesh, as my Savior. My message message to those who are unsaved is that you do not know how much time you have. For those of you that are on the fence, please seek out God, because ultimately it's a matter of where you will spend your eternity. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we give you all the praise and glory for redeeming Fred Feliciano, for taking him from darkness into your marvelous light, for taking a man whose story maybe seemed like it was a story that was irredeemable, Lord, and and doing a miracle in his life and bringing him to this place now where he can testify to our church and to the world that he is a new creation in Christ, that he is a child of the Most High God. Lord, thank you for his courage, his boldness, his honesty to share with us. We pray for your blessing upon him and Sylvia and their marriage. And Lord, again, we give you all the honor and glory for Fred's testimony. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Fred. Peter and I often say this after a grace story, but it's worth saying each time. It's not easy to do what Fred just did. It's not easy to stand up in front of a room of people and share 
your struggles, what you've been through, your story of your life. And so I just want to uh, once again thank Fred and commend him for his willingness to, to be honest with us, but ultimately to point us to the one source of salvation that there is, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question to start out. How old are you? A, you don't have to answer out loud. Um, it's a basic question. You all know the answer to, the, to that question. And in fact, when you're a kid, if you think about being a kid, one of the very, very first things you learn is you learn your birthday, you learn that date. And maybe uh, aside from Christmas, your birthday is the most significant day of the year. You look forward to it every year. And there's a pastor in Texas. His name is Tony Evans. He's got a great ministry. And Tony Evans was preaching to his church one time, and he said to his church, you don't know how old you are. And the people in the church started to probably look around each other and say, is Pastor Tony okay? Because um, I know how old I am. And Tony Evans went on to explain. He said, no, no, this is what I mean. This is what I mean. You don't know how many more days you have on this earth. Only God knows that. So only God knows how old you are in the sense of knowing how many more days you have left on this earth. So to put the question another way, how old are you, how old are you, how old am I in God's eyes? Only God knows. Um, I enjoy, uh, you know, uh, reading about the, every time you go to like USA Today or something and they'll, they'll have an article, the world's oldest person turns, you know, 115 or something like that and we're interested so we'll click and we'll learn about that person. And I remember um, one time coming across an article about Elizabeth Sullivan. She was at 104 years old at the time she was interviewed by a CBS uh, affiliate in Dallas. And uh, she was in 104 years old. She was in great health. And the interviewer uh, said, Elizabeth, what's your secret to being so healthy at 104 years old? And this is what Elizabeth Sullivan said. She said, I started drinking Dr. Pepper three a day, every day, 40 years ago. Three Dr. Peppers a day for 40 years. And she said... Every doctor that sees me says, says, it'll kill you, Elizabeth, but they die and I don't. That's what she said. They die and I don't. So, so there must be a mistake somewhere. And either the 23 flavors are the fountain of youth or we're reminded of what the truth is, which is that despite all the advances that we've made in medicine and in health, human life is in God's hands. It's so fragile. Only God knows whether or not you're going to live to be 104 years old or whether or not you're going to live to be 70 years old. None of us knows, but God knows. God knows exactly how many more times our heart will beat. Think about Fred's life. He overcame a tremendous amount of brokenness in his childhood and teen years, and he became a very successful person. Um, Fred didn't mention this. He's not going to brag about himself, but rose up to executive level position in human resources. And um, Fred pursued pleasure. From a human standpoint, he had, he had really made it. It's a story of a guy who, who had made it from, from a tough background. And yet, ultimately, he wasn't fulfilled. Ultimately, he, he wasn't truly satisfied in his life. And so God used a friend who had the boldness to realize, I wonder how old Fred is in God's eyes, and to say, Fred... You don't know how much more time you have left. One day you're going to face judgment and I want you to know Jesus. You know, a, a temptation that a pastor has 
And a temptation that I believe that churches have today, and it's always been a temptation, by the way, is to only teach the easy doctrines of the Bible, to only teach the things that are, are comfortable and aren't hard to hear. And the idea of judgment after death is certainly not a popular teaching today. Um, right now, if, if uh, you say to people, um, after you die, you're going to have to give an account, you're going to have to answer to God, uh, you're not going to become the most popular person in your workplace. And yet the Bible's clear. Everyone will face judgment one day. The popular idea today is that, hey, listen, all roads lead to God. That's what Fred thought at one point in his life. Well, surely, as long as we're just religious and we're sincere in whatever we believe, surely all roads lead to God. And surely, if there is anything after this life, everybody will experience it, right? They're in a better place, we often hear. But we need to hear what the Bible has to say, even if it may make us a little uncomfortable, even if it's a little sobering. And so we're going to spend just a few minutes looking at the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 27 to 28, where the author of Hebrews writes this, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Very briefly, two things that we see from this passage in the book of Hebrews. First of all this, the Bible teaches very clearly, despite the modern day, uh, what's popular or fashionable today, the Bible teaches very clearly that after death, every person, every single person has to give an account before God for our lives. Every single person has to face judgment. Listen to the Apostle Paul. This isn't just one verse of the Bible. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says this, for we, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Each of us may appear, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We are all going to have to give an account of our lives before God. And you might say, well, I don't know if I like that idea, Pastor. Um, I'm not sure I like a God who will require me to give an account, but you need to know this. It will be the most equitable and just reckoning humanly possible. It will be completely righteous. And if you think about it, all God has to do for any of us is pull out the digital recordings. All right, in the old days, I would have said VHS or something, but all God has to do is pull out the digital recordings of our lives and push play for all of our thoughts and all of our words and all of our actions. And, and the Bible says it's not just thoughts, words, and actions that are sins, but we also sin sometimes in what we don't do. When we fail to do a loving action that God is calling us to do, everyone will have to give an account. Nothing will be hidden from God. Now, you may say, well, Pastor, um, I, don't, I don't know if I want to believe in a God like that, a God who requires that people give an account. I think I like better the idea of a God who, who doesn't require anyone to give an account. And I would, I would say this. Think about what you're asking for there. Does any of us want to really live in a world where Hitler gets away with it? Do, does anyone really want to live in a world where a terrorist can go and take all kinds of lives or a shooter and, and then take their own life and never have to give an account 
and never have to face judgment and never have to look at the eyes of the families of the victims because their human life is over so they think that they've got away with it. The truth is, while on the surface a a future without judgment may seem nice, may seem more fair somehow, it's actually a lot tougher to swallow a future with no judgment. We all have an inborn sense of right and wrong, of that, of that people, uh, all of us are accountable for our actions, and we can take comfort in the reality that everyone will give an account. And by the way, I just want to take a tangent and say, if someone has hurt you and you, are, you have bitterness in your heart and you're ever tempted toward revenge, what the Bible says is, God is your avenger. God is the one who will, um, you leave it in God's hands. You don't take revenge. You can rest. You don't have to be bitter because no one will get away with anything ultimately. God will ultimately judge. And it's that kind of attitude that can move your heart from bitterness to actually praying for a person and forgiving them. And if they don't know Christ saying, I'd even love to see this person in heaven one day. The idea of judgment, it's not popular, but it's true. The Bible teaches that every single one of us will give an account. And there's many things about that that we can rest in that um, we do live in a, in a just and righteous world and that we serve a just and right, righteous God. That's the first thing we see. Everyone will give an account. But there's a second thing that's contrasted in this verse in Hebrews. It's the reality of judgment is contrasted with the love of God expressed in the sacrifice of Christ to take away our sins. See, what the Bible confronts us with is not just that we're sinners. But the Bible confronts us with the reality that despite all of our brokenness and all of our sin and all of our evil, Jesus came to pay for it all so that when we have to give an account, we will be covered with the blood of Jesus. We will be covered in the the white robes of Christ. And God says, you are my child. I have forgiven you on the basis of what my son has done for you. Fred Stant stood before us today as a man who if he could go back in time, would he make different decisions about things? Of course he would. But which, which of us wouldn't? Which of us, anyone here in this room, doesn't have many things in life that we would say, I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I could take that back. And, you know, it may be tempting to think, you know, Fred's story, hey, that's an inspiring story. That's amazing what, what Fred overcame. I'm inspired, but the truth is, I've never committed a crime. Um, I've tried to be a good person. So I don't know if I really have a past that I need to overcome. And God says, okay, how about we do this? How about this? I won't judge you on the Ten Commandments. How about this? I'll just judge you on the golden rule, Matthew seven twelve. Do unto others as, ha- as you would have them do unto you. Now, even if we think about judgment on that basis, which one of any of us could say that we go through a single day where we honor the golden rule. Do unto others as, ha- as you would have them do unto you, let alone the Bible standard, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What Fred is saying is absolutely right. All of us, every single one of us, is a sinner. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and none of us know how old we are in God's eyes. So what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that can make us stand righteous before God. Everyone is going to give an account 
before God. It's amazing. When we look at the cross, we're confronted with two realities. And if you look at the cross, you see two realities. The first reality is judgment. Think about this. Why is the second person of the Trinity, why is God Almighty himself hanging on a cross? And it's because of my sin, and it's because of your sin. It's because of the evil that's in our hearts. That's the first reality we're confronted with is judgment. But the second reality that we're confronted with is the love of God. It's that Jesus loves me so much. God loves me so much that he would send his only son to to pay for my sin, to cover all of the pain that I've caused myself, my loved ones, others, all the glory that I've stolen from God. God loves me so much that he would send his son to pay for that. I want to end with this. There's two lies that Satan would tell us. And, and Fred, through his courage and boldness, has confronted both of those by sharing his testimony. There's two lies that Satan would tell us. This is the first one. Don't think about eternal things. The big questions of life, what happens after you die? Will you have to give an account? Um, is there a God? Don't think about those questions. Don't worry about what comes after death. It's all going to work out fine. You know? And even if you do, why think about those things? You know, why not just enjoy your life? And if we're honest, isn't it easy for all of us to be so focused on the immediate? Like, what's next on my calendar? What's next on my to-do list? You know, we're so, we have so many things going on. Okay, how's my 401k doing? I need to get this repair done on my home. I got to update my fantasy football team. I have to, uh, I have to go shopping. Um, we need some more groceries. And it's easy for all of us to go through a day, a week, a month, maybe a year, maybe most of our lives and never really wrestle with what happens when I die? What um, is there a God? What is he like? What is my responsibility to God? The big questions. Satan says, I don't think about that stuff. Don't, Don't worry about that. That answer should not be good enough for us. You know, even brilliant minds like Albert Einstein, Steve Jobs, people like that wrestled with the big questions of life. You should wrestle with the big questions of life too. Why are you here? What's your purpose? What happens after you die? The Bible says very clearly, every person will face judgment. And if you're a Christian here today, you said Jesus is already my savior. The big questions of life don't go away. In fact, in some ways they become more pressing because you say, Lord, like the psalmist, teach me to number my days aright that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, I'm gonna meet you one day. And I want to spend every minute, every second. It's not that we don't have leisure or enjoyment, but Lord, I want to use it for you. I want to use my time well on this earth. The second lie that Satan tells us is this. You can never change. You can never change. You know, Christianity, salvation, maybe that's for good people or, or religious people, but for you uh, or for me, that can, never, that can never happen. And the truth is, When Satan says you can never change, that's a powerful lie because in one way it's true. It's true that you and I don't have the power to change, but God does have the power to change us. The gospel has the power to change us. I hope you look at Fred's story and you say, God can change any heart. And whether Fred's story had been, I've been religious my whole life and I was the best person ever and everyone commended me for what a great person I was, or or whether it's a different story, Either way, no person is too far gone from God. No person 
No sin is too great for God to say, no, you're too far gone. Uh, My love's not for you. Every single person can receive the love of God in Christ. So we end with this question. How old are you? How old are you? None of us know before God. But God would say to all of us, consider the big questions of life. Consider what comes next. And know that I've died for you. That you might have eternal life. That you may live with me forever. That one day when you give an account, it won't be a, a, a trial. It will be a homecoming. Because the love of Jesus is yours and you're God's child. And God says, I've already forgiven you based on the work of my son. You're my child. Child, come home. Welcome home, good and faithful servant. That's what God is calling us to think about today. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for Fred, for his life, for his testimony, Lord. And I pray for all of us that you would teach us to number our days aright. Lord, if there's anyone here who is not sure about Jesus and the gospel, Lord, move in their heart to believe in you. And we pray it in your name. Amen.